Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the CAF to their favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they've been up to outside the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Washita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the Tiger for Life podcast, we'll hear from alums Colonel Andrew Landers from the class of 92 and his wife, Michelle Franks Landers from the class of 93. Colonel Landers currently serves as Supervising Assistant Deputy for Health Affairs for the Assistant Secretary of the Army Manpower and Reserve Affairs at the Pentagon after returning stateside from commanding the 549th Hospital Center and the Brian D. Allgood Army Community Hospital at Camp Humphreys in the Republic of Korea. Colonel Landers was a distinguished military grad at Washita and a commissioned ROTC graduate before receiving his Doctor of Medicine degree from Tulane University. In his 24-year career with the Army, he has received numerous awards and decorations, including multiple Bronze Stars and the Valor Award, served in special operations, and been deployed all over the world. Michelle is an attorney and a 24-year senior U.S. Army military spouse. She enjoyed an extensive career in law, politics, and federal defense contracting, and now focuses her time and passion on supporting military families. Michelle has been honored numerous times for her volunteer service supporting service members and their families. We are honored to have these two outstanding alumni with us on the podcast today. In addition to their military service, Andrew and Michelle share about their time at Washita, including meeting each other at Roommate Roundup, Michelle's performance in the EEE Skeleton Tiger Toon Show, and how Washita prepared them for a life of travel and service. All right, Andrew and Michelle, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast. Thank you for having us. Hello, from DC. (laughs) Wonderful. Great to have you all here. And I'm glad you guys are are back stateside and had some time to visit today. You know, first I wanted to say, you know, Colonel Anders, thank you for your service. Michelle, thank you for all that you do as well. I can't imagine the sacrifice you both have made through the years for our country. And I'm so thankful as I know the rest of our Washtenaw family is as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's truly an honor and a privilege to serve uh, in in the Army. And uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Wonderful. Now, Andrew, I want to hear a little bit about your story, and I know you have an extensive military career, so um, I just kind of thought maybe we'd start after graduation with you. I know you were uh, in ROTC here at Washtenaw. Tell us about your uh, military path after graduation and what kind, kind of what led to where you are today. Well, after commissioning and graduating Washtenaw, I then took a uh, health profession scholarship and went to medical school at the Tulane uh, University Medical School there in New Orleans, so medical school for four years, and then the uh, Army sent me out to uh, just a horrible location in Honolulu, Hawaii, <laughs> a residency in family medicine at Triple R Army Medical Center. Um, spent three years there, and then after that, I've kind of been all over the place uh, with the military, both working in hospitals clinics, and then I spent a large majority of my time in operational medicine, uh, basically 10 years straight with special operations uh, community before uh, coming back uh, to the medical department and commanding uh, the hospital in Korea, and now here in D.C. So it's been great, 24 years uh, this past June in the military. That's awesome, 24 years. What a great, great career. Uh, What inspired you to go into military medicine? What led you there? Well, I always had a passion for medicine. My, my father was uh, kind of a small town, the hometown pharmacist. And so I spent a lot of my youth uh, in the pharmacy with him, just uh, hearing his experiences with the patients coming in, uh, personnel talking their complaints, 
uh, and just his interaction with them. And that kind of drove my passion for medicine. And then for the military, my grandfather, my late grandfather uh, was a Doolittle Raider in a prisoner of war for 40 months. And he was truly an inspiration for me uh, going into the military for that service. So I've been very fortunate to have extremely positive role models for both medicine and military service. Yeah, that's amazing. Tell me a little bit more about your uh, grandfather's story. So uh, he basically was uh, joined, uh, volunteered. He was in the Army Air Corps, and they asked for a volunteer. He was a pilot. They asked for volunteers for an unknown mission uh, during uh, World War II. And so he volunteered and went down and trained in uh, Fort Walton Beach, uh, Florida. Uh, they Never told them what the mission was, and uh, they loaded onto an aircraft carrier, the USS Hornet, uh, and then it was there while on the Hornet when they were underway out at sea that they were briefed on what the actual mission was, that they were going to bomb uh, targets in uh, Japan for our first strike against mainland Japan in World War II. Wow. His plane... Uh, it's a response to, <clears throat> to Pearl Harbor. And so... Yeah, was unfortunately his plane uh, ran out of fuel and he had to bail out him and his crew and uh, he was captured in China, uh, mainland China, and was uh, a prisoner of war, like I said, for uh, 40 months and then finally released at the end of the war uh, when a OSS team, a special operations team, went in because they knew they had some prisoners there, some American prisoners, and went in and got him released. He was actually slated to be executed the following day. Wow. And uh, he was just an unbelievable inspiration, uh, both for military and then also uh, he stated his survival as a POW was due. They had actually given him a Bible uh, while he was a POW, and he read it cover to cover multiple times. Uh, so he, uh, he preached forgiveness, uh, forgiveness for his captors, and, and just the life that he led was a true inspiration. And he always told me there was – uh, nothing greater than to serve the nation and all that it stood for. So that always stuck with me. And uh, he was a extreme motivation for me and a great supporter of my military career. Unfortunately, he passed away during my first command. Uh, and so a uh, tremendous loss there, but he, he's always with me. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you get much time with him? You know, after he got back here, did you get to grow up, you know, knowing him and having a rela relationship with him? Oh, yes. We were uh, always very close. They initially lived in Oklahoma, but uh, as I got older, they actually moved uh, to the same hometown in, in Camden, Arkansas. There, So I got to spend a lot of years uh, with him, uh, even uh, during my college years. Uh, I was, saw him basically every weekend coming home uh, from college. And so he was always, like I said, a tremendous support. And then he just passed away in 2015. He took Andrew to church and he actually flew out to North Carolina and met Andrew's bus in the middle of the night. The first time Andrew came home from Iraq from war. Wow. Um, and insisted on, uh, in the military, you receive medals and honors, but you have to purchase the actual medal yourself. And uh, he insisted on being the one to buy it for Andrew um, from that um, tour of duty. So. Wow. That's amazing. Now I know you've spent a lot of time uh, in special operations, like you said, and commanding that special warfare medical group. Uh, what can you share about your time in that unique area? I'm, I'm sure not a lot of folks, you know, have a, you know, have a window into that world. What, what were your years like in special ops? 
Um, they are extremely rewarding. Um, it's just a, it's just another organization within the military. The military itself is extremely rewarding, whether you're Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard. Uh, special operations just happens to be made up of all the services. So it's a joint force. And I just like the that they focus on uh, training the individual to their maximum and what small teams can do and that the individual and actually investing in people is the most important thing. So you make sure that you, you, you get the right individuals and you train them uh, to their maximum potential and you invest in them personally. It's not always about the equipment and those uh, type of processes. It's, it's all about the personnel uh, and the relationships. And, and, uh, but most of the military has moved towards that path uh, where it's, it's about, you know, it's in the army. Now we say army strong and the greatest asset in the army are its people. And so that's always been emphasized in special operations. And then they really focus on you getting the mission done and what you need to get that. Uh, and you're held responsible for those things. So I, I like that type environment where I was given flexibility and authority to make changes that I felt were needed for the medical care of our soldiers uh, and beneficiaries. And I just really enjoyed it. It's very rewarding, very rewarding to me. Yeah, I've worked for a few leaders in, in ministry that really, you know, took the individual person into account and that they're your most important asset. If you don't have, you know, healthy, strong team members, they can't, you know, get the mission done. So I think that's, that's important for sure. Uh, what have been some of the most interesting places you've served? I don't know if you can quite go into, you know, some of those, but, you know, both of you, are there places that you've, um, that you've loved being, or are there places that have just been really interesting or challenging? Tell us about some, some spots. Well, we, we, we've been to unbelievable locations. I look at it. It's, it's not the location that matters. It's the people that you're with. Hmm. It's the actual organization. I mean, you could be in a in just a desolate rural you know, country, but it's who you're with. It's your team. They become your family. It's the environment, the culture of that organization. That's the most important thing uh, to me, not, not really uh, a location. We spent a lot of time at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, roughly of special operations. Yeah, almost 14 years. Uh, there, but during that time, uh, multiple deployments to, to all kinds of locations throughout the Middle East. But it's, I'm not a big fan of that location is that important. Unlike uh, Michelle probably has a complete <laughs> opinion on that. So let me let her yes, give hers. I kind of went kicking and screaming into this military life and to some of these locations. And um, each location you love there's always something you love about it and there's something you may not like about it, but eventually uh, the military makes you just so highly adaptable where you're just, you can move anywhere. We, we constantly say at this stage, they can drop us anywhere and we're going to, you know, sink or swim. We're going to swim and adapt and make the most of it. And you learn to find the treasures each place that you go. And um, the other thing I'll say about the army and definitely the special operations community is how much they invest in training family members and uh, how to care for each other, support each other during very intense deployments. And um, you, 
military people say this over and over again, but you make the best friends that you could possibly make in life when you go through this military life together. And uh, you would go to the ends of the earth for each other because you're not near family or friends that you grew up with. You know, a lot of times you're stationed different places, but the bond between military people is phenomenal and the training and support that they give us. So, but really we've, we've been all over the place, all over the United States. Um, you know, Hawaii was definitely fun. Tampa, Florida was one of my favorite places. Loved Korea. We're about to go to Germany. Um, Andrew's been to a lot of, a lot of deployments, a lot of remote locations, um, not just the Middle East, but other places too. So you get to travel a lot in this, uh, but we both do in this life. <laughs> you know, in, in some of those Middle Eastern deployments, Michelle, did you go along too, or were there times where you were stateside? No, I, I was always stateside. Um, we're not allowed to go. Um, I, through my business and work, I had opportunities to go over like as a contractor and uh, for work and come back. And my husband said, absolutely not um, because of the danger and the, the different things. And so um, I stayed behind, but we have a pretty, especially in special operations, a pretty intense program where we run family, um, family readiness groups and support each other and care for each other. And um, while the teams are out on missions and, there's a lot of support that you have to do and take care of each other. And um, during that time, you have to step in and do the role of both the husband and the wife, the mom and the dad. And, um, you know, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of grief and um, a lot of work done by the spouses that are at home, but we kind of hold down the home front. My husband calls me house six um, (laughs) means I'm head of the household and running all those things. But, the, definitely the spouses and the families have the toughest part of the job um, to me. You know, we, we have, a, we're given a mission, we're given the tools to execute that mission, but yet the spouses and families are, are left behind to figure it out and kind of get through things on their own. Uh, and so it's just amazing to me uh, how the military or the army has really stepped up its game to take care of uh, families it's just, it's been impressive to watch over my 24 year career. And I couldn't be more proud of the army uh, and what it's doing. As spouses, we always talk about it. We call it the deployment law of chaos. And if it can go wrong, it will go wrong while your spouse is deployed. And uh, I have learned literally how to repair things, repair washing machines, fix cars, travel, take care of people. I've been the emergency contact people for, for so many different military spouses for their children at school who literally they met me the same day or they knew me through a friend or something and they needed to put somebody down or the school wouldn't let them enroll and they would enroll me and I've had to go and pick kids up from school at different times. I mean, it's just, we take care of each other. So. That's great. What does that look like when you're overseas? I think you've been able to go, um, you know, to Korea and that sort of thing. I know you have, you know, an extensive law career and politics and federal defense contracting, all of that. Um, but this passion of supporting military families, what does it look like when you're, you know, on the field overseas? What's that look like? Um, very similar, but then just at a heightened level because you are promoting the U.S. alliance with whatever country that you're in. And so you have a, a much increased level of um, activities 
and things that you have to host and attend um, to continue to build your alliance, like in our case with the, the Republic of Korea. And uh, you sort of attend and folk, uh, go to these things over and over again so that you get to know each other and work together well and you get to know families in the government, embassy events, military events. Um, and there's, as we have gotten older and are in leadership positions, we have a lot more responsibility for the young folks that are under my husband's command and you know, all the normal issues of life occur even when you're overseas, people lose family members or have accidents or, you know, and uh, it can be even more profound when you're overseas and the the young folks are away from their families and they're serving and uh, there's a lot of nurturing and care. I do a lot of fundraising. Uh, Every dollar in a command you have to raise for your, you know, social activities and things like that. So we do a lot of that and host a lot of different things for um, families. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people know the the family side of that when you're on the field. So I think that's really fascinating and um, so great to have that support system over there. Um, you know, I read a little bit about the project that you were working on in South Korea, the hospital, and it looked like a really impressive facility. What can you tell us about um, that the time in Korea and the project that you were working on there? Oh, Korea was a, was a wonderful assignment. I mean, the Republic of the, the South Korean uh, people are just wonderful, very uh, kind of open arms. Uh, they cherish the alliance that goes back uh, to the Korean War. Uh, they're very thankful uh, that we're there in our partnership uh, with them. And I just really enjoyed learning about their culture and and for me, being a physician and the hospital commander, I got to form really close relationships with a lot of our hospital, our uh, Korean hospital partners, plus the ROC military. So I got both. I've got the civilian medical connection, the ROC military, and then the ROC military medical partnerships uh, because of we relied on the Koreans for a lot of our specialized care because we, ha- that w- we have a community hospital there. Um, we were in Yongsan. Uh, kind of a smaller facility uh, uh, in Seoul there, a 38-bed facility, and we opened up a 68-bed state-of-the-art hospital down in Pyeongtaek, Camp Humphreys. Just an unbelievable feat by the team. uh, It had never been done before to go that distance to transition a hospital, you know, basically 85 kilometers away, um, and you're, you're working in both sites simultaneously with no lapses in care. Just a, an unbelievable team effort. Uh, and it was actually a joint effort. The Air Force medical crew there, the 51st Med Group, helped us out tremendously during our transition. Our, and the soldiers and their families that we served, our beneficiaries, were just phenomenal. Very patient with us during that transition because we knew everything we were doing was to their benefit. Uh, and uh, it was just a great experience. Uh, overall in that facility is truly world-class. I would put it up against any facility in the United States, whether it be civilian, military, uh, just a phenomenal facility named after a phenomenal officer, uh, Colonel Brian D. Allgood, uh, who paid the ultimate sacrifice in Iraq, skilled in action, just a phenomenal leader uh, and just overall humble man and truly a servant leader. Yeah, it looked like a really, really great uh, facility. The pictures were really impressive. In your role, have you? Is it primarily just leading 
teams of people to do things? Do you get to do any um, direct care these days at all with your medical experience or is it all team leading? What do your days look like when you're over there? Um, well, I always continue to do patient care. I always fit that in because I am a physician uh, and I'm very passionate about medicine. So I always make sure that I have time, fit in time to do patient care. But uh, there during that job, it was, it was, I was there to lead. Uh, to coach, teach, mentor, train, uh, and to make sure that we the mission was successful and that the personnel uh, underneath me had all the tools and things that they needed to execute their job uh, flawlessly and just had a phenomenal team. It, I always say it really has nothing to do with me. It's the collective we, hmm. the organization, and, and we treat it more as a team slash family. And the Army really emphasizes that, especially in, in the medical uh, the AMED, the medical community in the army is all about, it, it takes, it takes us all. It truly does take a village. What does your next uh, deployment look like? I, I hear you're going to Germany and have a, is it a similar kind of process there with their medical facility? What's that going to look like? Well, I'll, I'll be in DC for roughly a year. I'm, I'm working for the assistant secretary of the army for manpower and reserve affairs, uh, uh, doing policy uh, for the army. And then uh, in May of next year, I will take command of Lonstool Regional Medical Center, which is the largest uh, overseas military medical center. Uh, and it's really our gateway center for uh, multiple commands. So for all the soldiers that are serving in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, if they become sick, ill, or injured and they need care, we are their hospital that they will be evacuated to. So uh, very important. Uh, medical center there uh, and that mission uh, roughly taking care of about 270,000 beneficiaries. So uh, it's, um, I'm humbled that I was selected to command that facility and really looking forward uh, to the privilege uh, of uh, taking command of that organization and the challenges that lay ahead. Have you been assigned to Germany before? Have you had experience over there? Never been assigned to Germany. I've been through there a few times, uh, unfortunately, with wounded soldiers uh, during the height of the war, uh, going through Launchville, taking them through there, um, but never, never assigned. So we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, when I was a student at Washtaw, we were in Washtaw Singers and sang in Europe, and a couple of us uh, were with a host home in Wiesbaden on the army base there, and we were singing in one of their churches, but our host was the the guy who coordinated all the travel out of Wiesbaden, out of the army base. Oh, wow. It was really fascinating. We got to go to an, uh, a movie on American soil and shop at an American store. It was kind of fascinating. Yeah. It's like little America in uh, that one section of Germany in terms of movies and American restaurants and things like that on the post. Yeah. Yeah. It was really neat to get a glimpse of the, the military side, but also what that looked like on a base there. I think you guys were deployed prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Michelle, what's it been like to be in South Korea during the pandemic? Have you guys had to to quarantine or what's that been like? Absolutely. It's been completely different than the United States. Um, Korea had lived through SARS and MERS. And so um, they see really most of Asia, but Korea as well sees uh, things more conservatively when it comes to 
uh, preventative measures for COVID-19. So we really kind of started dealing with COVID in January, pretty intensely in February. And um, we had security level lockdowns based on where we could travel and what we couldn't do. And because of Andrew's position and for soldiers to keep the fighting force healthy, um, masks were mandatory in Korea in the public spaces. And um, there were fines if you were caught not wearing your mask. If um, Korea has a mandatory quarantine for everyone coming in, like a 14-day quarantine um, for U.S. military members, as well as any civilians, foreign people traveling into Korea. Um, and the fine for violating quarantine was, I don't know, almost $8,000. It was really, really high. And um, the Koreans are very, very much about staying home, wearing the mask, preventative measures. Um, and it, it's it's very, very interesting. Their government has a spe- civilian government leaders wear a specific uniform when they're in the middle of like a crisis. And so they wear like a yellow jacket and they, um, they have a system where if you're being quarantined, if you're a Korean citizen, you can be quarantined in your home and uh, they deliver food, 14 day supply of food. You have to, when you fly into the airport, a mandatory download of, of an app that they track you on. And if you don't answer or respond to the app, um, or the phone calls um, where they're tracking you, the public health service. They also do intensive tracing. Like if anyone has been exposed to the virus, they use facial recognition software. Uh, So a stranger that you walk by on the street could cause you to be quarantined for 14 days. And uh, everything is on CCTV in Korea. So pretty much everything is recorded, but they, they really invested in their manpower for the, the Korean CDC, as well as their equipment, having been through pandemics before. And so they were very prepared very early on to lock down the country. And so it's, um, it's very different coming back to the United States after being in such a strict, you know, more strict environment in the way their approach to it. But Well, it's a, it's a country the size of, of you know, Indiana. Indiana. So, so it's, yeah. it's a smaller Country, yeah, yeah, they do have a large, but it's their third <laughs> pandemic in twenty less than twenty years. Hmm. Um, so, and in Asia, because of pollution and other things, they large percentage already wear masks every day. Right. Um, and so it's it's a country that re, their government does uh, a lot for them, and they rely on the government. Um, and so they kind of fall in line pretty quickly. Um, and and we know what's the great thing about the United States is that <clears throat> we have freedom and freedom to make choices. Um, but the American people do rally and come together when they when a crisis occurs. Uh, the Army, I, I think, has done a phenomenal job here in the United States and their response, especially the, the AMED, uh, Army Medical Command, in, in uh, responding to the civilian needs in multiple states. Uh, we have uh, Army personnel there, medical personnel serving, helping uh, these states and in cities, in these hospitals that are understaffed uh, to deal with the COVID crisis. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard to compare the two, but I think mm-hmm. it's just, they have so many recent experiences with it where the United States, we haven't. Mm. You're, you're mm-hmm. talking probably 70 years since we really had a really bad, serious pandemic um, in the U.S. And so it's just, it's a different mindset there because they, it's so new to them. In their minds, and much fewer people. Hmm. 
but we are so proud of our of uh, Andrew's medical team in Korea and all the medical personnel. He deployed two field hospitals, two field hospitals to different locations in Korea, did testing, um, labs, working just nonstop shifts. They were, they were unbelievable to watch them rise to this challenge after having just moved into a new hospital and all the work that that entailed. It was amazing what our service members and uh, did over there. Again, it goes back to people. They had great people, great leadership uh, there in Korea from the 8th Army, Lieutenant General Bills, then USFK General Abrams. Uh, and then we were fortunate to have uh, Colonel Clint Murray, kind of the Army's leading infectious disease guru, happened to be the USFK surgeon at the time. Uh, so we just had phenomenal people and just unbelievable leadership through that to, to really help us uh, get a handle on it. That's great. I'm sure there's a lot of pivoting going on, just like everyone's had to do here, but, you know, trying to build a hospital and then all of a sudden having to take care of, you know, the whole new crisis there. So um, I'm sure it was impressive to see everybody come together and and take care of that. Um, I know that ROTC military education has been such an important part of Washtenaw's history and our culture here. Um, You know, what did you enjoy about ROTC here? And, you know, what advice would you have for students considering that as a path? Uh, I really enjoyed my time at uh, ROTC. Probably, uh, even though I had a degree in chemistry and biology there, uh, I really enjoyed my ROTC classes. Just a small group. Everyone was extremely dedicated, wanted to serve the nation uh, uh, through the military. And if you look back, there's phenomenal people that are still in the Army, active Army today. Uh, You got Colonel Lance Rainey, who commanded one of the largest hospitals in the Army. There at Womack, you got Colonel Yolanda Summons, uh, who is getting ready to come and getting ready to command the 62nd Medal Brigade out at Fort Lewis. She's a former, you know, medevac pilot, just phenomenal. Uh, you know, we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Naomi Mercer, who is doing great things uh, in the Army, especially as it comes to uh, gender equality and, and those type issues for the Army. I think she's leading that effort. Um, just, I mean, We've had, you know, Colonel Mike Spragans, uh, uh, Colonel Mike Robbins, just phenomenal people that are serving uh, today. I know I've left several off that are, are still currently serving, and I apologize. That are all, all ROTC graduates. That we're all, all Washtenaw ROTC graduates. John Rothwell, he's a, and, an attorney. And yeah, John, well. yeah, mm-hmm. he was. Uh, and so it's just, uh, it's just great. And we've got several that are in the Guard and Reserves now, mm-hmm. um, continuing to serve. Uh, just uh, phenomenal, but uh, it was just a great group. We had great uh, instructors uh, there that really put a lot of time, went over and above, uh, and the college was very uh, open and and helpful with ROTC. I, I love Washtenaw because I got an ROTC scholarship, and Washtenaw gave me free room and board, uh, and so that that was great. Um, and uh, but ROTC is just a great way. College uh, nowadays is expensive. And ROTC uh, takes care of that for you. Plus, they give you a stipend, but they cover everything else. And like I said at the time, Washtenaw covered uh, room and board. So it gave me that uh, flexibility to not have to worry about uh, being burdened with student loans. And on top of that, I got to have this unbelievable career so far in the Army uh, that I hope continues uh, into the future. Yeah. How do you feel, you know, both of you, how do you feel that Washtenaw prepared you for life and for your careers? Well, tremendously. Um, 
the individual instruction, like the, the uh, teacher-student ratio at Washta is just phenomenal. And uh, your educational experience is, is like none other, while you also are fellowshipping and socializing with other believers. Um, it's a great place to find your life partner. Um, and everyone was very passionate about all of my professors, about their subject matter that they taught. And, um, you know, it definitely prepared us for where we were headed. Also had a large missionary population that had been around the world, you know, missionary kids. And um, so exposed us to a lot of culture, things like that. I um, naturally gravitate in any circle that we're traveling in, not only to my believers and people of faith, but to people who have served in um, the mission field and other Washingtonians that we meet, you know, throughout the military. So it was a great preparation for to where we were heading, you know, around the world. Yeah. Well, just the, the fact it's a liberal arts school that you get exposed to so much uh, outside of your chosen uh, field, whether like for me, chemistry, biology, but I, I had to study all the arts. Uh, it allows you that background knowledge allows you to have more discussions. And I think to be more open-minded, especially for me in the army and traveling and experience these other cultures by having that educational background and studying some of those things, it, it makes me more inquisitive about other cultures and more open-minded when discussing uh, ideas. And the fact that it, it was a small organization and you got to build relationships. And so many things in medicine and in the Army are about relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really enjoyed. People. And one other thing I'll add that really helped me um, – I got a political science and English degree, but for my English degree, I was required to take four semesters of foreign language, more than just your one or two semesters. And um, I took Spanish and then I also took Russian, but it really taught me, I interacted with teachers, you know, from other countries and it taught me to dive in and start learning what I call survival languages for places that we live where I can learn survival phrases and things to help me get around and to learn how to dive into foreign language classes, you know, to navigate and integrate in different countries. So that was something that has definitely helped me, especially in the last couple of years of being in Korea. Yeah. You know, I think being exposed to so many cultures here is something that's really special about Washita. I remember moving in and there was an MK mixer and I didn't know what an MK was. And I said, I wanted to go, but they said I wasn't an MK. But <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn about these things, but yeah, it's so great to have, you know, so many cultures around uh, on campus for sure. You know, we have a little section on the podcast we call Fast Fave Fives, just five questions about your time at Washita. I would just kind of love to get a glimpse into your time on campus. Uh, who might you say were your favorite professors when you were here? Mine, without a doubt, Hal Bass. Um, and uh, I've kept in touch with him over the years, and he was definitely influential for me and at, while at Washita and throughout my career, and really all the professors in the political science department. Johnny Wink in the English department, um, for sure, corresponded with him for a number of years. Just those are definitely some of my biggest influences. What about you? I mean, I really liked everyone in the, in the chemistry biology uh, building there. Sandy Sandifer, uh, mm-hmm. always great. Dr. Jeffers. Uh, but they were, all, they were all great. I mean, I, I didn't have, to me, I didn't have any bad uh, 
faculty or, or teachers. They were, they were there to assist and challenge us and, and make us better. And definitely some good, good folks there. Did you have a favorite course, like one, one class that really stuck out to either of you that was memorable during your time? I don't know. I, I was taking so many hours. <laughs> I don't we both know. double majored. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Above and beyond. We're, uh, I'd call me like a super type A and uh, he's not far behind. But So he was taking chemistry, and biology classes, double majoring. For me, I would say anything that had to do with writing, um, whether it was in political science or English, uh, that's kind of my hobby and I'm passionate about that. So I loved all the classes where I had to write. Um, I think what else? Um, I can't think of a. Oh, favorite. I, my favorite class was the American presidency that oh, yeah. asked, that's kind of his specialty, but that was definitely my, you know, a subject I really enjoyed studying. I was, like, I was in survival mode. <laughs> <laughs> so I just yeah. wanted to tease him. <laughs> Uh, did you guys have a favorite spot on campus? Either one that you both enjoyed or you can, you know, individual spots. Did you have a favorite place here? He pretty much lived at the science building. So uh. I, I used to, to meet uh, Michelle at the tiger grill and uh, for a Coke and a cookie. <laughs> Between classes in the morning, that would be my breakfast a lot. unfortunately, but he would buy me a, they had those Otis Buckmeyer cookies that were really warm and they would, um, and she liked the pellet ice in the Cokes, but I'm not condoning that Coke and a cookie as a physician <laughs> for anyone listening for breakfast. I would recommend uh, water and a salad. <laughs> my favorite place is probably the chapel. That's where my parents met. Um, all of my family attended Washita and uh, my mother was a organist and pianist for the chapel for their services when she was going through school. And my mom, that's where my mom and dad met each other. So it's, um, we have a big framed painting of the chapel in our home, uh, family home. So definitely one of my favorite places on Washita. Sweet. Yeah. Next time you come by, you'll have to stop by and check it out. It's been refurbished and refreshed and, you know, we'll have many more years to come to serve students here. Uh, Michelle, I know you were an E and uh, Carrie told me some great, you know, E stories with you, but did you have a favorite Tiger Toon show? Were you in a Tiger Toon show? What was a favorite? Absolutely. The semester that I was president of the E's, uh, we were skeletons in the Tiger Toon show and we won. Oh, and, wow. Uh, that was uh, probably obviously my favorite year to be in it was because we uh, and we had glow in the dark costumes and uh, that was probably my favorite year to be in Tiger Toons. Was did they let you out of the science building to see Tiger Toons at all? Uh, I, I, went, was, I went every year, um, but I don't remember a, a, like a favorite. He was in medical school the year that we, I won. Yeah, I was, yeah, I had gone off him. to medical school the, her senior year. Oh, wow. Uh, did you, did you meet on campus? What was your, the story of how you all met? <laughs> uh, roommate roundup. And we went to the movies and saw Quigley Down Under. Terrible movie, but my roommate, Jill Johnson, set me up. The EEEs did a, um, a roommate roundup. You, didn't know, you don't know who your date is. And uh, he was my date. She picked him for my date. And I think we sort of knew who each other was before that. But that's when we started dating was we went to this uh, roommate roundup. So that's the blind date. That's her. 
That is really fun. I don't think we do roommate roundup anymore, but it sounds like a good, good possibility. They should. They would bring up the movie theater, you know, or some activity and do it. Um, but it was fun to be surprised with who you were going through. You didn't know until you got ready for your date. And so um, that was a lot of fun. That is really fun. And then did you get married after school? After, yeah, we, so after I graduated medical school, she graduated law school, we got married. Yes. And then quickly moved to Hawaii where I started residency. Right. That's a nice place to go honeymoon for a, a few years. <laughs> I don't call that a honeymoon. The hours we were both working over there, but uh, it was a beautiful location for sure. I don't know how much of it, you know, he's, we saw a little, I mean, you know, but we were working a lot. A lot of hours while we were there, but it was a beautiful place to live for sure. I bet. Um, you know, other than meeting each other on campus, do you have a favorite Washtenaw memory? Is there a, a story you could tell of a favorite memory or moment? Well, I mean, you just took mine away. I mean, my favorite memory is meeting my wife. It's a good one. That's the number one, uh, finding my soulmate and husband and life partner. Um, I have so many memories that I laugh about to this day, just the girls I lived with. Um, you just, there's no experience like it living in the dorm together, you know, for four years and, uh, probably one that I don't know if it's a favorite, but it's one that we laugh about. Um, I took out a poll at the local Sonic, um, driving this little town car that my parents sent me to college in. And, uh, I got crank calls for four years you know, from people on campus about the poll at Sonic or pretending they were the manager. <laughs> My other great memory was I did I was not a great driver, obviously. I didn't know how to parallel park or drive a standard. And uh, my friend Lacey Peppers taught me how to parallel park on Washtenaw, but I parked the wrong direction on the street. <laughs> um, got a ticket. And then Andrew taught me how to drive a standard while we were there. So, um, and I still am not very good at that, but those are just all things that I laugh about or fun to this day. Think about. Yeah. Washtenaw has to force you into parallel parking. You got to kind of learn that I was terrible at it and now I can actually do it. Okay. Because of campus. That's right. um, anything else you'd like to say to your Washtenaw family folks that you may not have seen for a while, anything you want to, anything else you'd like to share? I would probably say to particular young, particularly young Washingtonians that are coming up. Um, not to forget to look, there are so many opportunities out there that, you know, I didn't even know about when I was coming up for federal jobs um, and internships. And there are a lot of opportunities through military service um, to serve a very short period of time in the military and have your loans paid off. Hmm. Um, and, you know, college and professional school are so expensive today and you can see the world or do four years in the military and have your medical after residency, have your medical school paid for or have your student loans, you know, reduced from law school, things like that. So um, just that's probably one thing. And uh, to look for all those federal opportunities, like on usajobs.gov, um, there's a lot out there. And to all of our Washington family and friends, I would just say, we love you and we miss you. Um, sometimes our visits are few and far between because we are serving around the world, but we think of you often and your support really helps drive us in what we're doing with the service that we're doing. I would just say continue to lead. I mean, Washingtonians continue to lead in all sectors of the world. I mean, we have missionaries, you have presidents of corporations, 
uh, you've got preachers, ministers, you name it, doctors, nurses, you know, accountants, lawyers, uh, continue to lead, continue to challenge yourself, stay open-minded. Uh, there, there's so much uh, that we can give uh, as a community, a, as a school, uh, and, and just be uh, servants, uh, not, only, not only to God, but, but to our nation to make it better for those that come behind us. Uh, that's one of the great things that the Army's doing now. It's, it's about inclusion, about diversity, about keeping an open mind, about pushing the barriers and the dialogue uh, to continue to promote the interests of this great nation uh, under God. So uh, I appreciate uh, what Washtaw does and what the Washtaw family, how they rally uh, and support each other. And absolutely, God will lead you to your, your path of where you're supposed to serve in life. Even you may have, I had no idea this was it. And um, he will lead you there. So just lean into your faith and you will find what you're meant to do. Yeah, perfect. I you know appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedule. And you know, I want you to know your Washtenaw family is uh, proud of you and behind you and thankful for all that you are doing and the difference you're making around the world. So um, again, thank you so much. And uh, if you ever need anything, your Washtenaw family is here for you. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Go Tiger. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for Life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.